Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. So, I do think if I run, he won't. And he knows that, and we have a very good relationship, by the way. We had, as when I was president, we worked really well together. I helped Florida a lot including ships that were heading toward your region and I said nope turn them back uh, we had a lot of uh, we had a lot of working together and we did a great job with the hurricanes and uh, the panhandle in particular boy did we take care of the panhandle I love the panhandle uh, but we took care of everything in Florida worked well together and I know they try and create a fiction I don't think it exists at all it might you know you never know and if he wanted to run that's okay with me I think we'd win by a lot but he's good and he's done a good job as governor yeah that was what donald trump president trump what he said to me last december when i asked him about the media trying to fan the flames of a feud between him and governor ron DeSantis. good relationship might even say he was suggesting it was a trumped-up narrative. Well, these days we know that he's gone from being a good governor to an average governor, according to what he truthed out there. And that he's gone from someone he gets along with and, and somebody that he's friendly with to Ron DeSanctimonious. Yeah, a lot's already changing as the conversation is already shifting to 2024 while we're still trying to figure out what the heck happened on Tuesday. Which, by the way, is where I'm going to start tonight because that's where this conversation needs to begin. If the premise of anything is false, anything built on it is too, there's a lot to unpack and a lot that we can unpack already while we're still trying to figure out what the heck is going on again in Arizona, Nevada, Alaska, Different versions of similar things. Have we learned nothing? I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. He's a little under the weather today, and uh, he'll be ready to rock again, I'm sure, by Monday. And Life Liberty Levin, Sunday night, Fox News Channel. I host the Morning Rush, WJNO in West Palm Beach. Brian Mudd Show, WIOD in Miami. It's always an honor and a pleasure being here with you. Yeah, I am a South Floridian, and I have had the pleasure of being a citizen in the great state of Florida under the guidance of the great Governor Ron DeSantis. I will fact check the first thing on President Trump there by telling you, no average governor. Everything you've heard, it's not hype. It's true. And Tuesday's election results proved it. As Florida went from being the ultimate swing state to the ultimate outlier. Something I'll be talking about here in just a little bit. Before I get into 
the fracas here with Trump and DeSantis, which I am going to unpack because I've spent a lot of time on this, given that it's near and dear and that I've been involved with both of these gentlemen for a number of years and have a great deal of respect for both of them and do not want to see the battle royale that is ready to break out. I'm going to unpack that piece of it too and give you a train of thought about where the end game here could be, maybe, and unless Trump intends to come out next Tuesday and say, hey, you know what, I, I've got a really cool new feature on True Social. Unless that's his big n- announcement next Tuesday. And unless DeSantis really does decide to pump the brakes. That's where this thing could be heading. I don't know that it ends well. But let's start by talking about Tuesday and what really happened. Because there are so many narratives that need to die. So many narratives that are false, that have been advanced by both sides at this point. If you want to blame someone for what happened Tuesday and what is definitely not a wave election this side of the red tsunami in Florida. You need to blame the kids, not Trump's candidates. Blame the kids, not Trump's candidates. I talk about there being two sides to stories and one side of facts. We're going to talk facts. And as the saying goes, anyone who was not a liberal at 20 years of age had no heart. Well, anyone who was still a liberal at 40, had no head. Well, the famous quote, which has had numerous historical variations, but was immortalized by Winston Churchill, the saying isn't just as relatively wise as he was, but it really is held historically true. We know this. Kids become more conservative as they figure out the real world. It's always held that way. So yeah, the bottom line is that kids without a clue, they think things like free college and free candy and free puppies and free Biden bucks and even the old Obama phones were a free thing. And they're politically dangerous with ballots in their hands. And that's what was on full display Tuesday. And I could get off on a tangent about brains not being fully developed until the age of 25 and how I'm convinced That the only people who could reach 40 look at Joe Biden and think, oh, yeah. Yes, give me some more of that guy's sweet political action. Must have smoked so much dope prior to 25 that they just never fully mentally developed. That really can be the only explanation. But instead, my top takeaway from Tuesday's elections is that the first step into establishing the premise behind what really happened was that it was the kids and it's not what you've been told about trump candidates there is zero and i do mean zero empirical data that supports that oft advanced narrative it's a bunch of crap and no this has nothing 
And I mean nothing to do with attempting to make excuses for Trump-backed candidates, bad or otherwise. It just isn't true. And before I get down to data, there's one exceedingly obvious anecdote that supports this conceptually. We have a mental mummy who is already an overt socialist before entering a, a mentally mummified state. That's the next senator from Pennsylvania. All these pundits and a lot of the politicians want to talk about bad candidates. There's no freaking worse candidate running a statewide race in either party in the country than Fetterman, period. End of story. It's inarguable. The guy was the worst candidate, period. But he won, and it turned out not even to be a nail-biter. So what happened there? Well, it, it was evidence that a poodle with a D next to their name would have won in Pennsylvania. No, this isn't just because Oz is from Jersey and, yeah, we don't like the outsider. It's not about him being just the, the trump back candidate. I'm going to get down to why here in a moment. I'm going to, coming up, the top of next hour, talk about the genera- generational political divide. I'm going to drill down into the data about what really happened. But here's the broad theme. Something historical happened with the kids. While the historical trends otherwise not only held, but strengthened with adults. I started with the whole Churchill quote. This is important. Here's what really happened on Tuesday. The one reason, and the only reason, that there wasn't a tsunami, there wasn't a wave, potentially not even much more than a status quo election, Gen Z's radical leftward turn. So adults 30 and older, adults 30 and older, voted more conservatively on Tuesday than they did in the midterm election, which led to an all-time high watermark for Republicans congressionally. I'll repeat, this is important. Adults 30 and older voted more conservatively on Tuesday than they did during the midterm election that led to the all-time high watermark for elected congressional Republicans. So you go on and tell me about how if it just wasn't for all those bad Trump candidates, all those bad orange men candidates, how the hell do you explain that one? Why is it that Tuesday's election resulted in more Republican support for adults over 30 than any other time since the advent of data analytics. But why is it that Republicans may only scrape out a narrow House majority? And heck, I mean, who the hell really knows what's going on with votes in a lot of these states at this point still? Nevada, Arizona, and we got another runoff in, in Georgia. We'll talk about that as well in a bit. But I mean, shoot. Republicans may even lose a net sentence when all is said and done, no telling, right? All the incompetent counting being done in various states. You know, the ones that still haven't realized it's 2022 and the United States is the world's technology leader. But blame the kids. 
who still believe in the free college and played into Biden's political ploy that's now been struck down in federal court, that believe in the free puppies, that believe in the free candy, the free Biden bucks. You see, the reason Tuesday happened the way Tuesday happened, Gen Z voted for Democrats at a rate that was greater than twice what millennials did at the same age. I'll repeat that one. Gen Z voted for Democrats at a rate that was greater than twice what millennials did at the same age. You're smoking as much dope as some of those kids if you think that somehow or another the story would have been different if only you had a milk-toast establishment Republican candidate, if you only had that Mitch-backed candidate, you really had a lot of those kids in Pennsylvania that were going, man, if I only had that Mitch guy, I think I'll go Fetterman. I mean, please. There are two sides to stories and one side of facts. And what I've articulated here, I'm going to spell out in detail again coming up an hour from now the hard facts and as an aside if liberals who are full of heart at 20 are into electing anything with a d i'd much rather democrats just run poodles than fettermans because a point of personal preference if we get enough of them elected we're screwed either way but at least the poodles yeah they're cute more articulate too Brian Mudd in for the great one. Mud love in. Rights, immigration, foreign policy, marriage. These subjects are a big part of political dialogue today. We talk about them often on my show. They're at the heart of so many campaigns this election. But what did our founding fathers say about these issues? We've moved so far from the founders' understanding of government that you'll be surprised by their answers. And my favorite college, Hillsdale College, has the best way to learn about the founders' deep and wise insights into human nature. Today, you can join Hillsdale professors Thomas West and David as they explore the thoughts and ideas of America's founders in Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Real American Founding, A Conversation. So don't wait, folks. Watch the trailer video of The Real American Founding, A Conversation. It's a killer. And sign up for this new, completely free online course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Completely free online at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. America, Florida. Yeah, so I, in my open, talked about blaming the kids, not Trump's candidates. Because there's no data that supports that. As we had those that are 30 and older vote more conservatively as a block than in any other midterm election cycle, going back to the data age of the 1930s. But what we did see was the ultimate outlier. The idea of making America Florida, it was a thing well before Tuesday. It is much more of a thing now. Florida has gone from being what was until recently considered the ultimate swing state to being the ultimate outlier. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. And 
It is a really weird place from where I sit. Really weird. Like to the point where, independent of a November hurricane, which is a whole other oddity, I didn't know how to feel Tuesday night. Still trying to digest it all right now. See, in my state, there are more elected Republicans than there have ever been. In my state, a Republican gubernatorial candidate just won an election by the largest margin since 1868. And it's been a minute. Not 1968, 1868. When you had a Republican Party still kind of riding the wave of Abraham Lincoln. I mean, that's what we're talking about in Florida. The state legislature, I mean, it's been controlled by Republicans for over 20 years at this point. Super majority now. There literally, literally isn't anything that Ron DeSantis wants to happen in the state of Florida that can't happen. Isn't anything that the state legislature comes up with that DeSantis is on board with they can't do. So making America Florida is something a lot of people are probably looking for about now. And trying to figure out what the heck happened that in an election where most on the right thought we were set up for a wave, there wasn't. But in Florida, where it was looking good, it turned into something that was historic. There was a lot that went into it. And there's a story to be told about the grassroots I have a saying that every election has consequences, but it's often those that are closest to you in geography that have the biggest impact in your daily life. One of the stories that nationally had been known, Miami-Dade, largest county in the state of Florida, looked like there's a real chance it could flip this cycle. It did. It did. But it didn't just flip by a little bit. 12 points. The largest county, one of the three largest Democrat strongholds in the state, went for DeSantis by 12 points. But it didn't stop there. The entire cabinet won by double digits. Senator Marco Rubio won by double digits. Guess what? Local elections began to flip. And that was just the beginning of the story. Continue this conversation. I'd like to hear from you as well. 877-381-3811. Brian Mudd in for the great one. Mark Levin. Rights, immigration, foreign policy, marriage. These subjects are a big part of political dialogue today. We talk about them often on my show. They're at the heart of so many campaigns this election. But what did our founding fathers say about these issues? We've moved so far from the founders' understanding of government that you'll be surprised by their answers. And my favorite college, Hillsdale College, has the best way to learn about the founders' deep and wise insights into human nature. Today, you can join Hillsdale professors Thomas West and David as they explore the thoughts and ideas of America's founders in Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Real American Founding, A Conversation. So don't wait, folks. Watch the trailer video of The Real American Founding, A Conversation. It's a killer. And sign up for this new, completely free online course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Completely free online at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. 
If you turn off your radio and open the window, you can probably hear him straight from the studio. Call Mark Levin at 877-381-3811. These people don't just need to lose. They need to lose by a lot. They need to get the message. We will never be a socialist country. We will never be led by crazy people. You will not take us down the road of Marxism. You will not destroy America. We are going to leave our children what we inherited from our parents, what they deserve to inherit. The greatest country. That is what Marco Rubio sounded like on the trail right here in South Florida where I sit. That passion, that message, that clarity. And that grassroots engagement. We're going to be talking a lot more about that because I talked about the demographics at the onset of what really happened on Tuesday. Where we had incredible dichotomy. Where we had the most conservative midterm voting bloc for adults over 30 on record. And the most liberal by a margin, voting block of voters under 30, this country has seen. That's what happened on Tuesday. But the other thing that happened on Tuesday was a disconnect. Aside from having, yes, a great governor and Ron DeSantis, and having really solid reasons for wanting to support Republican candidates within our state generally. The difference in Florida, above and beyond everything else, the ground game, the connection to the community, and the commitment to get the vote out straight through Election Day. Republicans led Democrats in early voting in the state of Florida. I'll repeat that. Republicans led Democrats in early voting in the state of Florida, and not by a little, by a lot. The whole idea that, oh, we don't do early voting. We wait until Election Day. Crap needs to stop. I mean, look, I get it. If you like to vote on an, a, a Election Day, I get it. I once was that way, too, until one day I almost didn't make it out of the radio station in time. And I mean, I got to my polling place within a few minutes of of it closing down and almost missed my opportunity to vote. And I took a look at myself and I said, this is stupid. I can early vote. And I haven't done anything but since. In the state of Florida, we embrace that. Republicans embrace that. And the effort to get out the vote is there every single day there's an opportunity. And we delivered. That's another huge ingredient as I look around the country and see what was missing. You know, life happens and up to 5% of voters on Election Day that intend to vote don't actually get around to doing it. Think about how many things come out of left field during the course of the day. Up to 5%. Not always 5%. It's been as, as little as 1% when it's been studied, but as high as 5%. Life happens, you don't get to the polls. What does that mean in a close election? We've got to look at things differently. We've got to be smarter. And by the way, since we have a runoff election in Georgia, Georgia, this damn sure is a message for you. You get out there as soon as you can, and you get out that that vote for Herschel Walker. 
Do not sit there and wait until the runoff election day in December. Don't do it. Get out there and vote. And the every the other thing and it gives your party an opportunity to do is spend resources not trying to get your butt out to vote. The earlier you vote, they know it. They get on to the next, the other people that might not be as reliable as at least you think you are. That's what Democrats do much better generally across the country than Republicans do. And I guarantee to you, it's the reason why some close elections went the other way. So the whole, I always vote on election day. It's my tradition to go to this polling place. This pre- it's not the way the game's played. If that was the only way there to vote in all of these different states, okay, so be it. Yes. But otherwise, it's embracing failure time after time after time. Turnout proves it empirically. The number one reason, above and beyond Ron DeSantis being DeSantis, that history happened in Florida, that we went from being the ultimate swing state to the ultimate outlier, is what I just told you. Let's go to Vince in San Jose, California. Vince, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for taking the call. Um, very timely. I'm out here in a county where Republicans are 04, zero, not even close. I think maybe 34% is the closest we have for a statewide candidate in our county. The Central Committee is AWOL. Um, there's zero engagement, it's a problem. We've got to get the people from Florida out here to teach us how to get a ground game together and how to win an election. It's disgusting what's going on here. But Vince, I appreciate uh, your call and your message. And I've got a message of hope for you. And what you're saying is the right thing, by the way, that you want to to make a, a difference rather than just throw up your hands and say it can't be done. I'll tell you a little story about what happened here. A reference in the previous segment. Yeah, Miami Dade flip. It didn't stop in Miami Dade. Three of the four most populous counties in the state of Florida, all of which were Democrat majority counties, still are by way of voter registration, by the way. Three of the top four flipped including where I reside in Palm Beach County, also President Trump. We went red. Palm Beach County went red. I'll never forget, I um, did radio in Savannah and Atlanta before making my way to South Florida. And on my way out, old buddy Jack Kingston, who was in Republican leadership in the House at the time, on my way out, his, his message for me was, we're going to miss you. But they need you a hell of a lot more in South Florida. When I made my way to South Florida, when I began living in Palm Beach County, it was a D plus 28 county. D plus 28. Miami-Dade was D plus 26. Dade just went for DeSantis by 12 points. Palm Beach County just went for DeSantis by three points. And by the way, as I mentioned with Dade, Palm Beach County broke 
for the entire Florida cabinet. Local elections. There were three county commission seats in Palm Beach County that were up for election. Two of those three flipped to Republicans. It can be done. But it has to be done at the grassroots level. It has to be done with engaging people with the issues that matter most to them. Parental rights and education. That was the law that was bastardized across the country as don't say gay, which is the greatest farce running. There's nothing in the legislation that says you can't say gay. If you want to be a kid in a classroom or even a teacher in a classroom, you can sit there and say gay, 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 homosexual, whatever, all day long, whenever, until somebody runs you out in a straitjacket. What it did was it banned the ability to talk about gender identity before uh, fourth grade, and it made it that parents had to be notified thereafter if there were going to be those types of discussions. We're talking about gender identity issues. Now, that kind of policy at the local level resonates with people. And when you have that kind of support with your state representative, your state senator, when you have that kind of passion and engagement at local school board meetings, it wasn't just Loudoun, Virginia. Our school board meetings have been well attended, have been packed by concerned parents. We've flipped every single, uh, not one DeSantis-endorsed school board candidate in the state of Florida has lost yet. We have flipped so many school board seats in the state. It's been local. You hear about DeSantis, and it's the big national personality, and it's, you know, the 24 talk. He's in the trenches. The issues that he's worked on within our state, they are grassroots issues. Our local politicians have driven it home. They've supported the agenda, and they engage in the community effectively. The local leadership and the candidates have been outstanding in doing their job. That's how you get from here to there. It all has to come together collaboratively. And it can be done. So my message, uh, Vince, to to anyone in this situation where you're feeling hopeless in a place where you get waxed by 20, 30 points every single election, I hear you. I understand. I used to live there. I now live in a red county. You can too. But we can't talk about it. I've always said that, you know, with what I do in radio, it's always been like great frustrations in life. I'm a doer. And so part of the reason why I talk about there being two sides of stories, one side of facts, and establishing premise, everything else, I'm always trying to come at things informationally in a way in which there's something that's a takeaway that we can do something with it. Because otherwise, I feel like I'm just, you know, spouting off a bunch of words on air. And it maybe matters, maybe it doesn't. Hopefully on occasion it's entertaining. But, I mean, at the core... If we do things right, it can make a difference. And so if I can be helpful at all, that's what it takes. It starts at home. And it starts with engagement. As I mentioned, it starts with playing the game the way it's played. If you have early voting, get the heck out there and vote early. And do it as early as possible. So resources, again, can be deployed for other candidates. And and again, in Georgia, since we're getting ready for an election that very well might decide the control of the Senate... Get your asses out there and vote early. Do not wait until Election Day. You're a Republican. Don't do it. Unless you have no real other choice, get out there and make it happen. 
so that the less reliable voters can be targeted, activated, and make it out to the polls to get him across the finish line. Which, by the way, Brian Kemp, who just ran an amazing campaign, his re-election bid for governor of Georgia, you know, exactly exactly what he is uh, working on. From what I understand, he is, has taken his entire election apparatus and is, is working that with Herschel now, which is a good thing. It's very encouraged to see that. All right, let's go to Jonathan in Woodbridge, Virginia. Jonathan, welcome to the show. I lo- love what you're saying, your analysis and the demographics. And the, the additional dimension that I that strikes me is that we did the Republicans did the same thing in 2012 before there was a Trump. Um, you know, here it was Biden is terrible. It's a re- this referendum idea, which I'm coming to believe is is a really bad, dumb philosophy that because Biden's terrible, they're just going to automatically come over to our side. Didn't happen. In 2012 with Obama, you know, people who's rather unpopular, I remember at the time, again, not making excuses now, but at the time I was tearing my hair out. They're not saying why anybody should vote for the Republicans. It's just, it's just the um, Obama was unpopular, so we just yeah. automatically sit back, do nothing, and it's going to fall in our lap. And, and, and think the, the lesser of evils wins. You're exactly right. It's a huge mistake that it's frequently made. I think yeah, it's appreciate part of the Republican Party, not the personalities that we're, that we're hearing about. Well, no, you're right. I mean, the, the, one other takeaway that we can throw in, uh, Jonathan, and appreciate the call, is that Republican Party leadership, uh, you know, in, in, in terms of the approach to this cycle, was failed. I mean, this should have been a grand slam. You know, you saw McCarthy get out there with, you know, the, the many, I don't know, you can't call it uh, contract, even a mini contract with America. It'd be like a, a mini amendment for America that he came out with late in the game. The idea was reasonable at a point, but I don't know. It should have started like a year ago. And it should have been out there where there was buy-in with candidates. And you should have had candidates that were running on that. I'll give you another example real quick. I was talking about the school board candidates and, and DeSantis and the local engagement. He put out his education agenda, and school board candidates were able to say that they would run on that agenda. And if they did, and if he liked them, he would endorse them. That's what a leader does. This is what our agenda needs to be. Get candidates that run on those issues. Vet those candidates. Get them through primaries. Get them elected. So much failure on a national scale. Continue the conversation. Brian Mudd in for the great one. Mudd Lovin. Rights, immigration, foreign policy, marriage. These subjects are a big part of political dialogue today. We talk about them often on my show. They're at the heart of so many campaigns this election. But what did our founding fathers say about these issues? We've moved so far from the founders' understanding of government that you'll be surprised by their answers. And my favorite college, Hillsdale College, has the best way to learn about the founders' deep and wise insights into human nature. Today, you can join Hillsdale professors Thomas West and David 
Hazarat as they explore the thoughts and ideas of America's founders in Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Real American Founding, A Conversation. So don't wait, folks. Watch the trailer video of The Real American Founding, A Conversation. It's a killer. And sign up for this new, completely free online course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Completely free online at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Florida is no longer a purple state. We are solidly a red state, uh, doing better statewide than even Texas. And it's because of the policies that, that Republicans have had in place here in Florida. And people all across the country, especially during COVID, recognize that. And they're sick and tired of democratically run cities and states. So they move here to Florida where they have freedom. Yeah, a lot of truth by Congressman from Florida, Greg Stubbe. Florida, now a red state. I mean, how did that happen? And so quickly. How does Ron DeSantis go from winning an election by four-tenths of 1% four years ago to 19.4% on Tuesday? Takes a lot of effort. Takes good policy. Takes a lot of engagement at the local level. You're looking around your community right now. You're not happy with your election results. You're not happy with what happened in your state. This is where the conversation needs to be. It's time to do things differently. Doing the same is the definition of insanity. We're seeing it right down to the BS voting situations in Arizona, Nevada, and Alaska, which have done what exactly? Oh, absolutely nothing differently over two years ago. Still doing things the way they always did. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. Follow me at Brian Mud Radio on Twitter and Getter. And also, you can check out the Brian Mud Show podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Follow, subscribe, get my content digitally delivered to you daily for free. And want to work in a programming note here. Yeah, the great one, a little bit under the weather tonight, but he will be ready to rock Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern for life, liberty, and live in. And this Sunday, on the Fox News channel featuring Ben Dominich and Joe Concha. So check out, make sure that you watch Life, Liberty, and Live In. So the question is, what is it that you're going to do differently? What is it that we collectively are going to do differently? It is time to make America Florida. But the way that you make America Florida starts at home. The elections that have been closest to you often have the biggest consequence of your daily life. Good policy, good people, right places, grassroots action. It's imperative. Happy Veterans Day. May God bless you, everybody who served. We'll be right back. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post. 
deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. We've got to stop, Maga. Calls it Mega Maga, Ultra Maga, Maga King. I'm the Maga King, he said. I'm the Maga King. We've got to... Are you not entertained? Oh. He is entertaining, if, if nothing else. I mean, even the truths about Ron D. Sanctimonious. I mean, for that matter, even the whole delivery, the original delivery of Ron D. Sanctimonious was pretty hilarious. In Pennsylvania, last weekend, where he's... Talking about his point, like at 72%, and then without missing a beat, just go straight into, and Ron, desanctimonious, 10%. No change in inflection, anything right on to the next. I mean, the delivery, the execution, I mean, the man is the ultimate entertainer, the MAGA king. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. Host the Morning Rush WJNO in West Palm Beach, the Brian Mudd Show WIOD in Miami. Always truly an honor and a pleasure being here with you. You may follow me at Brian Mud Radio on Twitter and Getter. You may also check out my podcast, The Brian Mud Show, wherever you get your podcast. The first hour I let off, we're talking about what really happened on Tuesday. What really went down. And it wasn't the bad MAGA King, bad Orange Men's candidates. That's the popular narrative. Many on the right have even embraced it. Yeah, I guess there are bad candidates. I'm here to tell you there is zero, zero supporting evidence of that. There is, is a generational political divide like we have never seen. A generational political divide. So actually, as part of the research that went into what I delivered in the open, worked around a question I was asked. For my local shows, I do a daily Q&A, which, by the way, you're welcome to participate in. You can always email me, briamudd at iheartmedia.com, and I do take questions off of social as well. And I was asked on Twitter, was the Gen Z vote for Democrats any bigger than other generations in previous elections. A generational shift is what's scariest to me. Really insightful question there. Was the Gen Z vote for Democrats any bigger than other generations in previous elections? And uh, for my Friday Q&As, sometimes I will go in a little bit more lighthearted direction. Now, it's Friday, after all, have some fun, those types of things. And by the way, in our state, there was. I mean, the only thing that's sadder than Florida's Democrat Party is the South Florida Sun Sentinel. The Sun Sentinel is the largest newspaper that's left in South Florida by way of distribution, which isn't saying much. But anyway, their their editorial board, Wednesday, their their caption uh, included a crimson hellscape. They referred to the state of Florida as a crimson hellscape. They wonder why they are dying 
maybe even quicker than Florida's Democrat Party. But so I, I was thinking about even having some fun with that. But the timing on this is really too important. The timing to have this conversation about the generational divide. Because while we continue to await states who still haven't figured out how the hell to count votes, as we sit here and wait, what the heck is, is going to happen with Congress? Along with another pivotal runoff election in Georgia. The exercise of some serious, and I do mean serious, soul-searching for Republicans outside of the state of Florida is underway. It should be, regardless of the final congressional result. Even if, even if Laxalt holds on in Nevada and Herschel wins the runoff and Republicans have control of the Senate with 51. I'm sorry, Masters. Does not look like it's going to work out in Arizona. Lake can still get to across the finish line. Kerry Lake can still be the next governor of Arizona. It does not look like the numbers are going to be there for Masters. So the path almost certainly is going to be Laxalt hanging on Nevada and getting Herschel across the finish line in a runoff. Regardless of any of that, stuff needs to change big time. And there needs to be a realization of what the hell happened here. Where you can have such a just absurd president who's wildly unpopular, 40-year high inflation, border crisis, geopolitical crises, and how there isn't so much as a wave election. That is utter failure. The whole country should have been like Florida. So with all that underperformance, let's get to this. As always, there are two sides to stories. There are one side of facts. And in an analytical evaluation of why this happened, there's one extremely specific answer that is most accurate, is the most telling, and yeah, has the potential to be the longest lasting implication that answers today's question. My little place in the world is to provide analytics subsequent analysis that you don't get other places. So I want to kick off this conversation with the first important declarative. And it's something that I mentioned in the open. The narrative that it's bad Trump candidates that led Republican underperformance is utter bunk. It's complete BS. It retains no basis and provable reality. If you have somebody who comes to you and they say, the reason we lost this race is a bad Trump-backed candidate, you tell them they're full of crap and they don't know what the hell they're talking about. You can be nicer about it, but, I mean, that's the fact of the matter. You see, narratives are easy. They don't require anything more than hot takes. And they're even easier to advance when you have record Republican performance in Florida as an outlier to the rest of the country at large can make it all about one person and just say, oh, DeSantis is, is you know, the miracle worker. But there's also one problem with, with that attempted narrative, with the people who just want to point and say, DeSantis is the second coming. Let me point out a, a heavy dose of reality here and irony. Who is the most Trumpian candidate of them all? that was running for an election anywhere in the country on Tuesday? Who is the most Trump-ish candidate of them all? It's not the ultimate Trump candidate, Ron DeSantis. 
<laughs> I mean, have we not heard from even the governor's detractors and his supporters alike? I'll tell you, even here in, in Florida, even DeSantis's supporters for, for years have said that he's Trump without the bad stuff. The people who love him and hate him all say the same thing. And that is why Democrats are so scared of him. But the reason Ron DeSantis led a historical wave in our state on Tuesday, yeah, I mean, it, it does involve governing like Trump without the bad stuff. But as I mentioned in the first hour, it's because he their issues mattered. What he ran on mattered. They were grassroots issues that hit home. Parental rights and education. Protecting everybody from lockdowns, even when Democrats in South Florida try to keep everything locked down and, and keep people masked outdoors. DeSantis stepped in and said, the hell you're going to do that to people. Made it illegal to do so in the state of Florida. So now about the premise as to the underperformance. Breaking out voter turnout from the 2014 midterm elections. Then represented a high watermark congressionally for the Republican Party. You may not have realized it. Held more seats in the House than at any point. 54 seats in the Senate, 2014 midterms. Numbers on on air can become ridiculous fast. So I'm going to go slow with this. So it it really kind of adds up. I'm going to start with voters over the age of 65. If you take a look at a Tuesday's election with voters over the age of 65, they voted for Republicans by 13 points. Okay. R plus 13 over 65. What happened back in those 2014 midterms? They voted for Republicans by a 16-point clip. So those over 65, not quite as conservative in the vote as, as they have been. The high watermark. Take a look a little younger. Those between the ages of 45 to 64. In the election we just had, they voted for Republicans by 11 points. What happened back in those 2014 midterms? It was R plus 8. Those between the ages of 45 to 64 were more conservative. More conservative now than even the high water mark previously. So look a little, little younger still. Those 30 to 44. On Tuesday, they voted for Democrats by 2 points. If you go back to that 2014 cycle, they voted for Democrats by six. Those between the ages of 30 to 44 were a lot more conservative in the vote, a lot more than the previous high watermark. But then you take a look at voters under the age of 30. Back in that 2014 midterm cycle, voters between the ages of 18 to 29 Voted for Democrats at a clip of 13 points. What happened on Tuesday? They voted for Democrats by 28 points. 28. 13 to 28. The same age. In midterm elections, eight years removed. One that was a high watermark for the Republican Party in Congress. And the one that we're still waiting to see what the heck happened. So you look by generation, D plus 28 under 30, to D plus 2, 
to R plus 11 to R plus 13. My open, I talked about Winston Churchill and the saying about if you're not a liberal at 20, you have no heart. If you are still liberal at 40, you have no head. The historical trends have held. They held from eight years ago to now. We continue to see the general trend being more conservative, but what we saw was even an exacerbating of that. But what we saw is, holy crap, what happened to Gen Z? What in the world? I'm going to pick up there next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin. There is literally no reason to pay Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile over $80 a month for wireless when you can get the same service on the same network at Pure Talk for half the price. Yep, talk, text, and blazing fast data, just 30 bucks a month. Those other guys are making you pay for thousands of retail stores you don't go into, perks you don't use, and massive profits to keep their shareholders happy. You know who Pure Talk wants to keep happy? Their customer, you. That's why they've invested in a U.S.-based customer service team. It's why they give you more data options than unlimited, because they won't charge you for data you don't need. I switched to Pure Talk because I like supporting a company owned by a U.S. veteran. I like supporting a company who supports me and my values. And I invite you to switch to Pure Talk, too. They're my guys. Switch to Pure Talk in less than 10 minutes. Go to puretalk.com and our promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast to save 50% off your first month. Again, puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Based on what we saw in the vault this morning, we've got a little over 50,000 ballots that still need to be You might remember that voice, that guy, same election official in Clark County, Nevada, where they're still trying to handle 50,000 votes. We managed in Florida to process over 7 million in a few hours. I'll talk a little bit about process later in the show as well. Definition of insanity. What plays out there. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. Pick up with what I was talking about, the generational divide. Comparing what happened on Tuesday to the high watermark congressionally for Republicans, which wasn't that long ago, it's just 2014, but it also makes for a really nice comparison because we can take a look generationally. These are us. These numbers, they're us. And then Gen Z. So it's kind of hard to underestimate the significance of this. The comparisons are remarkable. That we go from those 18 to 29, the one for Democrats by 28%. And then just millennials. Only one for Democrats by two. Xers and young boomers went for Republicans by 11. And boomers, silent generation, went for Republicans by 13. We have never seen in the day to age a generational divide like that. Now, had Gen Z simply voted in line with how millennials did close to a decade ago, we wouldn't have just had a red wave nationally. It would have been a tsunami a la what happened in Florida just about everywhere with all those quote-unquote bad Trump candidates winning across the board. Notably, we're seeing that millennials 
are 4% more conservative than Xers at the same age. That's a takeaway. We're seeing that Xers are about 3% more conservative than boomers at the same age. That's also something. Now, we are seeing older boomers who are 3% less conservative than their parents at this point. But the first remarkable takeaway from that exercise is that adults over the age of 30 voted more conservatively on Tuesday than they did in the midterm election that led to the all-time high watermark for Republicans congressionally. And so that's where I say, go on and tell me about how, if it only wasn't for all of those bad Trump candidates, how do you explain that one? That all these bad Trump candidates out there fared significantly better with adults over the age of 30. This isn't meant to support or endorse a bunch of failed Trump-supported candidates. No interest in that. It's just a matter of fact. There's one reason and one reason alone that there wasn't a tsunami, a wave, and potentially not much more than a status quo election. It was Gen Z's radical leftward turn. Not leftward turn, radical. Gen Z breaking for Democrats by 15% more than millennials at the same age is a political transformation of sorts that became the ultimate neutralizer on Tuesday. There is zero supporting evidence that the most liberal generation on record would have voted for Republicans if, man, if we only had those good establishment Mitch McConnell kind of Republicans. I mean, you seriously want to tell me that these kids in Pennsylvania were going, man, if you only had one of those Mitch guys for me, I think I'll go Fetterman. I mean, seriously. (laughs) You would better be a damn good salesperson to pull off that one. Again, the data is empirical. Adults over 30 broke for those bad Trump candidates in record numbers. But there is a generational disconnect like we have not seen. Now, maybe it was the promise of free puppies and candy and free college as a political boy. But that is problematic. We'll continue the conversation. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. There's literally no reason to pay Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile over $80 a month for wireless when you can get the same service on the same network at Pure Talk for half the price. Yep, talk, text, and blazing fast data, just 30 bucks a month. Those other guys are making you pay for thousands of retail stores you don't go into, perks you don't use, and massive profits to keep their shareholders happy. You know who Pure Talk wants to keep happy? Their customer, you. That's why they've invested in a U.S.-based customer service team. It's why they give you more data options than unlimited, because they won't charge you for data you don't need. I switched to Pure Talk because I like supporting a company owned by a U.S. veteran. I like supporting a company who supports me and my values, and I invite you to switch to pure talk to they're my guys switch to pure talk in less than 10 minutes go to puretalk.com and our promo code levin podcast that's l-e-v-i-n podcast to save 50 percent off your first month again puretalk.com and enter promo code levin podcast blasting conservative fire The Mark Levin Show. Call in now at 877-381-3811. On Truth Social, former President Trump getting a little 
well, let's just say a little frisky as people start talking about 2024 already. And he's taking a shot at Ron DeSantis, the governor of the great state of Florida. This is what the president wrote. Uh, he calls him Ron DeSanctimonious. He says he's playing games. Uh, the fake news asking him if he's going to run, if President Trump runs. He says, I'm only focused on the governor's race. Well, if you know the president, you know how he feels about loyalty, and he feels like he has helped Ron DeSantis. Yeah, that is uh, Kevin Cork, Fox News report. And he also said as one of his truths today that DeSantis is an average governor. Uh, I am here to tell you that's incorrect. DeSantis is that good of a governor. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. But Mark's going to be back even Sunday night for Life, Liberty, and Levin. 8 o'clock Eastern, the Fox News Channel. And he has Ben Dominich and Joe Concha. So check it out. Life, Liberty, Live In, 8 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. All right, so I've been talking about the generational divide. And I just brought you the information. And to me, informationally, it was eye-opening. I mean, really profound. Because anytime we, we see things that we haven't seen in data before, I, I think it's worth taking a look at. And anytime you see a divide like what we just saw play out on Tuesday, it really is worth exploring. It, it, it is remarkable that adults over the age of 30 voted more conservatively than they have in any midterm election cycle we have on record, while adults under 30 voted overwhelmingly the hardest left we have ever seen in the data analytics age. Going for Democrats at a rate that is greater than twice what millennials were doing at the same age. That's what happened on Tuesday. And so it busts a lot of narratives. Now, I've talked about the candidates and how a lot of people want to blame the Trump candidates. And what I'm suggesting is that doesn't necessarily support that narrative. I do believe, though, that Dave, right here in my own backyard in Palm Beach, disagrees, though. Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for taking my Brian. Um, I, I do disagree with you, and I think the, the evidence is New Hampshire, Sununu dramatically outperformed Mastery, um, the, the Senate candidate. In Pennsylvania, Shapiro massively outperformed Fetterman. And in Georgia, Kemp massively outperformed Herschel. If, if your supposition was correct, Stacey Abrams would be the governor of Georgia, and she's not. Um, Fetterman would have won by a much larger margin over Oz, would have matched Shapiro, but he didn't. Fetterman's a terrible candidate, so Oz was within a couple of points. So I think candidate quality absolutely mattered. If you had a Marco Rubio type running for Senate in Georgia, he would have walked away with it over Herschel Walker. I, I, I don't know how you can say that that's not true. Okay, you ended up making a very interesting point, and there is truth and there's wisdom in what you're saying. What you did was operate on an assumption that I didn't articulate. At no point have I said that candidate quality doesn't matter. What I said is there's no evidence that bad, quote-unquote, Trump candidates were simply the issue. Now, what you're suggesting is, well, take a look at Kemp and then Herschel. Okay, 
Well, fine. Let's do that for a moment. Was it not a matter of fact that Brian Kemp, at the gubernatorial level, ended up enacting a lot of the policies? After the fact, Georgia was late to the game, but that DeSantis did in Florida to open things up, to keep businesses going, to get the economy roaring, enact voter integrity? Absolutely he did. Grassroots issues that mattered at the local level. You know, to talk about Sununu, similar situation, a governor who led on policy, grassroots issues, things that mattered to people. I don't think it's as easy as just saying if this, then that. You will notice a trend clear across the country, even as it pertains to DeSantis and Rubio. Did Rubio blow the doors off of Val Demings? Yes, he did. Did he win as by as much as DeSantis? No, he did not. You saw governors, Republican governors, that enacted good policy outperform down the line, period. And there is ample evidence it had as much to do with their own performance, their own policy, and what their constituents thought about that and what it meant to them, especially during the time of adversity they've lived through over the past two-plus years, as it would anything to do with a quote-unquote Trump candidate. And it doesn't solve the problem that I just laid out, which is every adult on average over the age of 30, every adult on average over the age of 30 voted for the Herschel Walkers. For the Mehmet Oz's, for the Bulldogs, at the highest rate they ever have. You have to reconcile that. There's no worse there's no worse candidate than a John Fetterman. There's no worse candidate than a John Fetterman in this country. And so if it simply were as easy as candidate quality, you nor anybody else can explain just on that piece alone. How John Fetterman, John Fetterman is the next senator from Pennsylvania because we had 18 to 29 year olds vote at a record level, at greater than twice the rate of millennials at the same age. They would have voted a poodle into the Senate. It wouldn't have mattered who the Republican candidate was in Pennsylvania, period. Would not have to those kids. They were not going to vote for what the quote unquote good Republican candidate would have been there. There, that is just, there's no evidence supporting that. And so there's truth to what you're saying, but there's more contextual elements to it. And yes, I agree that candidate quality matters, it, but the blame on Trump candidates alone, that isn't supported here. All right, let's go to Paul, who is in Palm Coast, Florida. Another person in my home state here. Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing, Brian? Thanks for taking my call. Okay. Well, I, I live in Florida. I moved here about a year ago um, because um, I wanted to come to this state, and I'm so happy I did. I love my wife. And I love we love Ron DeSantis. He's a great, fantastic governor, and we love Donald Trump. I don't like what Trump is doing with the comments. That really bothers me and people like myself. But if push came to shove and they went against each other, I really believe most people would vote for Trump. I think they would be loyal to him. He changed the party. He changed the face of the Republican Party. And yes, Ron DeSantis does owe him some gratitude because he did back him when he first ran for governor. And that probably put him over the top because, God forbid, if Florida ended up with that other guy, you know what he was like. So I just think I don't like this. I think it would be better for DeSantis 
to wait till 2028 when there won't be any incumbent president then at that point because yeah, Paul. Trump wins. He, you know, he can't, he can't be the president again, so he could then, you know, just run in 2028 uh, opposing some hey, other Democrat. What, what you're saying is making a lot of sense. It's making a lot of sense. And I'm going to dive into some of this dynamic here in just a bit. Because there is a conversation that probably needs to be had at this point. It's a conversation that is being had. It's a conversation that's going to go in overdrive as of next Tuesday. And it's time to begin to sort this thing out. Let's go to Tom in Albany. Tom, welcome to the show. Hey, good evening, and thanks for having me on. You bet. I appreciate it. Good. Uh, this this dump Trump narrative is brought to you by the New York Compost, the Fox, <laughs> uh, the, the Fox News outlet who overpays their employees. Uh, who was the other uh, newspaper? Whatever that slouch other newspaper is, them too. You know, you got people like Chris Christie, who's who's been. Uh, I don't know, a hobbit, so to speak, for the last 20 years. He's been canceled for 20 years ago. You got Paul Ryan, that if his ears were any bigger, he'd be able to fly away. You got Mitch, <laughs> Mitch McConnell, if he, if he snorted any more cocaine, yeah. his nose would fall off. I mean, come yeah. on, man. Well, <laughs> no, it, it is revenge of the establishment. You're absolutely right. I mean, that is where the, the conversation sits right now. That's what the narrative is, the, the whole blame Trump thing, that we lost this election because of the bad orange men candidates and that's why it's so important informationally what i have broken down for you anybody who simply wants to blame the trump candidates anybody who simply wants to take a look at trump and say he's a problem his people are a problem well you got two massive problems with that one there is no more trumpian candidate in the country than ron DeSantis. that's one and the other is that you would have to explain why those quote-unquote bad Trump candidates got a larger share of support from adults over 30 than at any other cycle on record. That simply does not wash. It's a narrative. It definitely is advanced by the establishment. There definitely is a revenge of the establishment. But here's the irony of it. Who was it that really failed from a leadership standpoint this cycle the establishment what did mccarthy do what did mcconnell do they're the elected leadership out there what do they do mcconnell's game is absolutely still the old oh people don't like biden so they'll vote for republicans rather than i don't know giving them a reason to vote for republicans yes that is all part of this for sure. Let's go to Jack in Kansas City. Jack, welcome to the show. Hey, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I just you bet. wanted to push back on the the uh, the uh, everyone going against Trump narrative, and uh, I just still believe he's the most talented man for the job, and I think we should get behind him. Let uh, Trump be Trump. I think we should all get behind this man one more time. And uh, start start the Trump train again, and, and let's make it a, a Trump train across the country. Well, Jack, I, I think that there may not be another good option 
for the country, ultimately. That is part of what I'm going to be diving into in in just a bit. Let's go to Ed, Staten Island. Ed, welcome to the show. Hi, Brian. How are you? Doing well. I totally agree with you. Kevin McCarthy was, uh, to borrow a line from Game of Thrones, hiding in a closet in a puddle of his own making. And uh, <laughs> Mitch McConnell sabotaged a couple of candidates. He didn't... Sure did. uh, yeah, he didn't uh, fund them. He, you know, the, the Democrats outspent them. So uh, I like Ron DeSantis. I mean, a big fan of his, but uh, it's got to be Trump for president in 2024 because Benjamin Netanyahu is soon to be reinstalled as prime minister. With Trump, you get Jared. Jared gets along with the prime minister. Hopefully, he chooses Pompeo as a vice president, and Pompeo can focus on the Middle East. And then Russia, and then Trump can focus on Russia and China, because the UK is in flux. Canada is run by a teenager. The Germans got their head up their butts. It's got to be Trump. He's 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 tied and tested. I mean, DeSantis yeah. will have his day in 2028. Ed, I, I appreciate the call and interesting points. I was thinking the same thing too when Netanyahu came back in power. You noticed at the same time it almost was a resurgence for Boris too. He came that close to becoming prime minister again as well. It's like wow, everything that's old is suddenly new yet again, and certainly did make me think about the Trump factor there. You're right. Um, good point as well about McConnell. Not only did he not fund certain candidates, he did one worse. He pulled money out of races like Masters in Arizona to go after in a Republican primary who probably will be the next senator from Alaska to support his friend Murkowski, the ultimate rhino in the Senate. So, yes, he, in many respects, ended up undermining by actually being competitive in Republican races with likely better candidates. So, yeah, in in every way, shape and form, he was an impediment to what ended up be necessary to, to have that wave election on Tuesday. It was the establishment that ended up failing the party. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd Lovin. There's literally no reason to pay Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile over $80 a month for wireless when you can get the same service on the same network at Pure Talk for half the price. Yep, Talk, text, and blazing fast data, just 30 bucks a month. Those other guys are making you pay for thousands of retail stores you don't go into, perks you don't use, and massive profits to keep their shareholders happy. You know who Pure Talk wants to keep happy? Their customer, you. That's why they've invested in a U.S.-based customer service team. It's why they give you more data options than unlimited, because they won't charge you for data you don't need. I switched to Pure Talk because I like supporting a company owned by a U.S. veteran. I like supporting a company who supports me and my values. And I invite you to switch to Pure Talk, too. They're my guys. Switch to Pure Talk in less than 10 minutes. Go to puretalk.com and our promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast to save 50% off your first month. Again, puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Ron came to me, he was at three, and he had no money, and he asked for an endorsement, and I actually, you know, wasn't too thrilled because, uh, you know, he was very good. He helped me with the Mueller hoax, because we had many hoaxes, and he was on television a lot, but people didn't relate him 
doing that as governor. So when he announced for governor, people really didn't know who he was. You have to, you know how that works. So when Ron uh, asked me for help in that for an endorsement, which has been a very good endorsement for many people, Ron uh, Ron turned out to be good, and I'm proud of the endorsement. That was President Trump to me when I questioned him about DeSantis and a run last December. A lot's changed since then, as you can hear. The tone has certainly changed quite a bit with the president since then, as he is truthing that he is an average governor and that he is Ron DeSantis. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. And this story is a troubling one. This story is one I do not like. The actual comment, in full disclosure, that I made to President Trump that led to that comment and one that we played at the opening of the show as well, I said, I don't think Ron DeSantis is going to run if you run. And he told me that he agreed. The reason that I said that I don't think Ron DeSantis will run if you run is because I know Ron DeSantis is a really smart man, a great politician, and he has to know that story likely doesn't end well. And what I mean by not ending well What do you think happens if he wins? If you're DeSantis and you win a Republican primary with Donald Trump, let's just say, I know a lot of people think it wouldn't happen. It very well may not. But let's just say, because if you're going to make a run for president, which, by the way, to this day, Ron DeSantis has never addressed. He is asked about it daily. Never addresses it. What do you think happens if you quote unquote win that primary? That is the most important question in this entire dynamic. I'm going to pick up there and we'll have this conversation about where this story goes and the future. Long as the vote counting next. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. In this economy, we all need as much help as we can get. If you own a business, you're looking for ways to survive. Innovation refunds can help. Small business owners, please listen up. You can be eligible to receive a payroll tax rebate of up to $26,000 per employee. Now, this isn't a loan. There's no payback. It's a refund of your taxes. Go to GetRefunds.com. Their tax attorneys are highly trained in this little-known payroll tax refund program, and have already returned $1 billion to businesses, and they can help you too. Go to GetRefunds.com. They do all the work with no charge up front. They simply charge a percentage of the cash that they get for you. Go to GetRefunds.com, click on Qualify Me, and answer a few questions. It's that simple. Now, this payroll tax refund is only available for a very limited amount of time. So check it out right away. GetRefunds.com. That's GetRefunds.com. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. 
So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. It'd be fun watching them take on each other. Yeah, if you're giving President Biden something he wants, might not be a good thing. That was Biden's comment about... Trump and DeSantis going at it in a Republican primary for president. It excites him, the idea. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. I host the Morning Rush, WJNO in West Palm Beach, the Brian Mudd Show, WIOD in Miami. It is truly an honor and a pleasure to be here with you and on this Veterans Day. All veterans, thank you. May God bless you. Appreciate you every day. I hope it's been a, a terrific day for you. So about the battle royale, about the the Trump-DeSantis fight in the offing. So I played for you clips from an interview with President Trump just under a year ago now. A lot's changed in a year including the fact that there wasn't a Republican wave election anywhere but in the state of Florida on Tuesday. No doubt DeSantis' momentum has only built. His national profile has only built. His status within this state, which already was extraordinary, is likely now at a point where in the state of Florida, Ron DeSantis could knock off Donald Trump. I can tell you, Anecdotally, from listeners, that would probably be the case today. We can take a look at the numbers and go, Trump won Florida twice. But his best showing was by under four points. DeSantis just won the state by 19.4. A lot of things have changed just under a year. A lot of things have changed in two years. Yeah, there are a few hundred thousand more registered Republican voters net of Democrats in the state since then, but that doesn't begin to scratch the surface of the difference in the margin I just told you. That's multiples of the change in voter registration in this state. It's definitely something bigger. I mentioned that I know Ron DeSantis to be not only a great governor, but a really bright man. It was interesting. My first encounter with Ron DeSantis and his wonderful wife, Casey, 
I was actually at a small private function years ago. At this point, it must have been around a decade, when I was introduced to uh, them by one of the local, let's say, influential people in politics. And it was when he was considering making the first congressional run. And it was just to kind of get get a read for what he was all about. I remember even in a little private setting, he delivered an amazing speech from a point of passion and the issues, and he had such command and was so intelligent. Not necessarily the most affable guy. He's just so focused on the issues. And then Casey, just an absolute sweetheart. I've watched him grow over the past decade into the congressman he became and then ultimately our governor. I've watched him grow as governor as well. He is a brilliant man. He learns from experience. He's better in policy than he was four years ago. He's better in strategy than he was a year ago. One of the things you can also get I think it's just human nature caught up with your own press clippings as well. About a year ago when I suggested I didn't think he would run because if Trump runs, because I personally believe he's smart enough to know what that story potentially looks like, almost certainly would look like. I didn't think he necessarily would do that. For DeSantis... There is such a wide-open path. He's the governor for the next four years in the state of Florida. Be term-limited at that point anyway. If Trump runs and he wins, obviously, that's it for Trump. If Biden, heaven forbid, runs, heaven forbid, he were to win, he would be done. Most instances, you have a wide-open path a wide open field in 28. DeSantis would wrap up his governorship with two years to spare, just at the time when you'd be making that run for president. The timing that way works out beautifully. But then again, he's red hot right now. And does he try to strike when the iron is hot? Again, he's never once addressed yay or nay or even hinted around a presidential run. Which means that I haven't gotten an answer from him either. What I can tell you is Lieutenant Governor Jeanette Nunez, she's a wonderful woman, by the way, the right hand of Governor DeSantis. You probably are familiar with her name, but she is rock solid awesome. Jeanette Nunez. Talk to her about this a number of times to the point to where she wishes I would stop asking her. Never once between the two of them has there been this conversation, which matters because obviously, you know, if Ron were not governor at any point, Jeanette steps in. That's her job. Never once has there been a conversation between the two of them. Never once, private circles, close quarters, does this conversation happen. He is that disciplined. DeSantis is that disciplined. So let's wander down this path mentally for a moment. They both decide to run. Now, I mean, look, there is a chance that Trump comes out 
Mar-a-Lago on Tuesday and says, hey, guys, you see Elon's having some trouble over at Twitter right now? I've got this amazing new feature on True Social. It's going to blow your mind. I mean, it's possible. That could happen on Tuesday. It could be the, the big announcement, a really cool new feature on True Social. Or who knows? Maybe it'd even be that he is going to go back to Twitter. That could happen, too. It's possible. But unless that's what's happening Tuesday, let's think about what happens for a moment if Ron DeSantis were to run for president against Trump. Does anything good come of that? The first path forward, and this is the the losing, so to speak, angle for DeSantis. He goes head-to-head for, with Trump. It is a bloody, ugly battle, and he loses in the primary. And so so here is this superstar who has an unblemished track record that gets bludgeoned, bloodied, and then put in his place by Trump. Maybe he can make his way back nationally from that. Maybe not, and he's just damaged goods. Either way, not a good scenario. Then let's take a look at what happens if he, quote-unquote, wins the Republican primary. Let's just say, for a moment, that DeSantis goes head-to-head with Donald Trump and he knocks him off. Let me ask you, do you think Donald Trump, his last hurrah, the, the last scene with him on the national stage politically is walking off in a loss in a Republican primary? It's possible. It is possible. How likely is it in comparison to, say, a Truth Social or Twitter announcement on Tuesday? Or would you think there's a better chance that maybe Trump says, oh, yeah? If I'm going down, I'm taking you with me. What do you think the odds are that Donald Trump could form, say, the MAGA party and run as a third party? What do you think would happen, A, to the Republican Party at that point, B, to Ron DeSantis, and C, to both of them? I can tell you it would be staring at the biggest win for a presidential candidate since Reagan in 84, Only it would be whomever the Democrats stand in would happen to be. The story doesn't end well, most likely for Ron DeSantis. Even if he were to quote-unquote win that head-to-head matchup with Trump. The number one reason, having watched both of these men, having seen DeSantis grow into the politician and the governor he is today over the past decade... Number one reason that I didn't think it would happen a year ago is because I think DeSantis is too smart for that. I hope he still is. And for everybody on the national scene hoping for DeSantis, consider what I just laid out and consider the reality for a moment. Unless you honestly think Donald Trump could lose a Republican primary 
shake hands with DeSantis and say, I'm behind you 100%. Unless you think that is the most likely scenario, you're playing with the kind of fire that could potentially turn this country into something unrecognizable. Not a pretty thought, is it? It's time to have real conversations. And I think that conversation is as real and as important as it gets. Now, there are paths forward, and a lot of good ones. And by the way, Florida, whether it's Trump or DeSantis, is still the future. Biden is not. I'm going to put a few items to work with conceptually in your pocket here in a moment. We're going to talk about where we go from here, including fixing some election processes and getting these results in states like Arizona and Nevada as well. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd Lovin. On this special day, on every day, I honor all of those who sacrificed for our nation like my son. We certainly do appreciate our veterans every day and a very happy Veterans Day to you. And for the president, I was most impressed that he didn't uh, suggest that his son died in Iraq today. So there was that or confuse necessarily Veterans Day with Memorial Day either. I don't believe he quite did that, although he he did lean hard on the sacrifice thing like his son that he has had died in Iraq. But anyway, I think a mostly appropriate Veterans Day message from the president of the United States today. Now, about Biden. And about the future. One thing in particular, beyond the fact that we have to live with this guy as president for another couple of years, don't let him bother you. One thing that you will consistently continue to hear every time he gets an opportunity, he is he continues to rail on the MAGA big bad Republicans. One thing I've heard a lot from over the past couple of weeks, listeners outraged by the president digging down even further and not just you know calling people like trump and and trump candidates a threat to democracy but you but you he continues to call out you if you are a trump supporter as you go to work you pay your bills you raise your family you are the threat to democracy but seriously don't let him bother you because it's not worth it and most importantly it's not working and i'm going to illustrate this in a couple of ways Take President Biden's approval ratings. He maintains net positive approval in how many states? Just 10. He has net positive approval in just 10 states, representing a total of just 127 electoral college votes if we were to put this in a presidential election context. But there's another example, and it comes from the left-leaning Politico. Recently, Politico produced a piece entitled, Florida is a blaring warning sign for Democrats. And in it was this musing regarding the plan for Team Biden and Democrats generally. Quoting from the article, a senior Biden advisor explained of Tuesday's venture into Florida, you can't shake a stick without hitting a Republican that represents the MAGA extremes that the president is talking about. So it really allows the president to drive home what's at stake and what the choice is. And it followed up with this observation. If a large 
politically prized state that is one of the most important in the union has alleged extremists everywhere, are they really that extreme? And if Democrats do poorly in Florida next week, as seems likely, and man was that ever true, what does it say about the party? Well, ding, ding, freaking ding, yes. And there was this observation as well, still in the Politico piece. The chief Florida boogeyman is Ron DeSantis. For the left, he earned much of his notoriety during the pandemic, when he is a fierce opponent of lockdowns, school closures, and mandates. His critics will never admit that he was correct. But at the very least, it's hard to rekindle the righteous fury that was directed at him during the height of the pandemic. And the summation for good measure in this article. The overall political message of Florida isn't that Republicans are lurching into mega, MAGA irrelevance, but that Democrats are losing ground in a vital part of the country. As The Economist wrote recently, Florida has become emblematic of much of America and central to all of it. The state is on the rise. Okay, and so, spot on. Politico, spot on. The point, it's clear. The point, it's correct. What's going on here is the future. And it is time to make America Florida. Here's the the bigger issue that I want to tie in to what I was talking about earlier. And what needs to happen as so many look around the country, see what happened in Florida, record-setting election cycle for Republicans. More Republicans elected top to bottom in the state of Florida than at any other time in this state's history. Largest win by a Republican gubernatorial candidate since 1868. And you take a look at what happened around the rest of the country and you go, what the heck? The first thing is, there's room for optimism here. But you've got to do the work. You've got to hit the ground. We've got to have good policy. And we've got to turn people out in elections. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. Meet to defend liberty and defeat tyranny. Call the Mark Levin Show now at 877-381-3811. If they have any suggestions for what they think should be allowed for them to view or participate in, those are issues that they need to take to the legislature and have them sponsor a bill that would change. Yeah, that Joe Gloria. Clark County, Nevada, election official. Familiar voice from two years ago because nothing has changed in Nevada. Now, it was a couple of years ago in the wake of the 2020 election. It was in December. I put t- together a story that I shared with you on this show when I was guest hosted for Mark one night. Entitled, U.S. Election Integrity is the Worst in the Developed World. And I mentioned this. I said, it's remarkable that we're the world's leading superpower, complete with the greatest technology companies in the world, top medical advancements, 
and crappy election systems that are often surpassed by undeveloped country. That bad to where undeveloped countries run circles around us. And long before we witnessed the questionable election practices in several states this cycle, and I'm actually presenting this to you the same way I did intentionally. This was two years ago. Tell me how similar this sounds. Long before we witnessed questionable election practices in several states this cycle, Harvard's Electoral Integrity Project, Harvard University, they studied election systems. They do this in every cycle. You would naturally think the United States would be somewhere near the top, right? How bad in context is it? Well, Harvard identified 38 countries that engage in democratic-style elections. Of the 38 that engage in similar-style elections, where do you think the United States ranks in election integrity? The answer is 37th. 37th. Yes, second worst of any country that engages in democratic-style elections. Yes, the United States ranked just below Vanuatu. Yes, Vanuatu. They do better than us. We rank just above Albania. We had that going for us. And in fact, our election system so inadequate that Ghana, Ghana runs rings around us in election integrity. I'm not kidding because there are actually several countries ahead. You see, the United States actually ranked 57th overall in the world in election integrity. In other words, elections held in 20 countries where citizens lack freedom have higher integrity in their elections than ours. And I said, here's my point. What we've witnessed is inexcusable, and it should be intolerable. Many state and local governments have so woefully created election systems and protocols that several undeveloped countries have greater integrity in their elections than ours. It's unrealistic to think that we can remain the world's superpower and beacon of freedom in the world if we're running elections worse than every developed country in the world, which, yeah, it's the case. According to Harvard, by the way, and I said the demands for change in states like Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Nevada, in Wisconsin shouldn't end with the certification of the votes in those states. Well, Georgia did the job. A lot of states did the job. All in, we actually did have 18 states that passed some election integrity measures over two years ago. Where are we in Arizona? Where are we in Nevada? No, Pennsylvania, the legislature tried. Democrat governor vetoed the effort. Nothing has changed. What has to change this time? There needs to be bipartisan outrage at this absurdity. I point to my state of Florida again. We used to be the joke of the country. You know it. And finally, after 2018, and Governor DeSantis was a big part of it, said enough is enough. We got rid of two corrupt election supervisors, and we passed a series of modernization policies. By the way, one of the big ones, every vote has a paper backup. 
we have modern modernization systems, so everything's computerized, but we also have paper ballots to back up every single vote. Election supervisors are allowed to tabulate vote-by-mail ballots ahead of Election Day. One of the big problems you're having in these states that are still counting ballots, they don't allow them to start counting a lot of ballots until Election Day, the vote-by-mail ballots. That's stupid. If you're going to have vote-by-mail ballots, let them do it ahead of time. In Florida, we can do it up to 40 days ahead of time. We also have a state-run election integrity office as well. Reforms matter. The whole reason Florida went from being a joke as recently as 2018 to running the most efficient elections of any state and we're the third largest is because we enacted smart reforms. It's not hard. These states absolutely need to do that. We should not be having this conversation again in two years. Let's go to Scott, St. George, Utah. Scott, welcome to the show. Hey, I've enjoyed the show, but um, I do have to say I, I uh, there's about eight to ten things I'd love to unpack. You did make a couple of, you made one really good point. I'm a DeSantis guy. I, I think Trump act Trump's act has been old. I don't think he's a great candidate. I also want to tell everybody out there, I don't think Joe Biden's going to make it through the next two years potentially. Uh, definitely not run again. So before we get excited on whether or not Trump could beat or DeSantis could beat Joe Biden. I think he, there will be someone else running, which would make it very, very hard for Trump to win. Most people now are saying, and even you, I think, have said, it's likely that Ron DeSantis is a better candidate than Trump. But the one thing you brought up was Trump is, and you can just look at his tweets over the past seven days, he's so unhinged. This is unhinged behavior and disqualifying for me to support him. Now, would I vote for him against Biden? Well, I did last time. Okay, I did against Hillary, so I would again. But we have a superstar in Ron DeSantis. There's no guarantee that Trump can even beat Biden because the independents will walk over broken glass along with the Democrats to vote against him. And they've known this for six months, and I've talked about it on this show before. They said six months ago secretly that they needed Trump on the ballot because that was the one thing that would get their voters to the booth. But what I'm saying is Ron DeSantis, is, I think we would all agree, is a terrific candidate. There's no blemishes there. How about Donald Trump? Somebody talk to Donald Trump and say, why don't you take a step back, get behind DeSantis, <laughs> and, and, and you can be the kingmaker. Because here's the bottom line, though. Yeah. Trump might blow everything up. He can't, so it's because Trump is a little Scott, bit... Scott, everything, everything you said, I think, is reason. Now, you did put words in my mouth, but I'm not going to disagree with the characterization necessarily either. It's a catch-22. It's the ultimate catch-22 that the party finds themselves in. Trump is his own force of nature. And you take the good and you wit with the bad. Unless Trump is going to get out there next Tuesday and say he's got some cool new feature for Truth Social or he's coming back to Twitter, every conversation subsequent to that one is extraordinarily difficult. I don't see how this story ends well for DeSantis. I, moreover, if it did begin well for DeSantis, I don't think it ends well for him or the party. I don't see how that story goes well because I can't imagine a scenario 
in which Trump just does take a backseat right off into the sunset, having lost a Republican primary. If that were a realistic proposition, my thought process might be altered a bit. But I do think people need to be realistic that way. And my thought process in this, the easiest way to resolve this conversation is for DeSantis to be Florida's governor for four years and then run for president. Everything is solved in that moment, even though I understand a lot of people would like to see him sooner. I understand a lot of people, like you, not comfortable with him necessarily being the candidate. Now, as it pertains to Biden and whether he's going to be around in two years, what's going to happen there, look, it seems like the guy wants to run. There's every indication that whether he's viable or not, I mean, like physically, and then only God can tell you that. And will he be challenged? Probably. I mean, look, Gavin Newsom has already pretended to be president when he when Biden wasn't in the White House previously. Got to imagine the hair is going to want to try to make a run here. You can see some others that try to angle. They see weakness. We don't know until we get there. We can't operate on a series of assumptions two years out as to what would happen in the hypothetical with whom and what. I mean, take a look before the pandemic. It looked like Donald Trump was going to be a shoo-in to win re-election. Pandemic happens. Everything changes. Who in their, I mean, honest to God, you go back to 2019, who thought Joe Biden was going to be president of the United States? I mean, really. Things change. And so operating on assumptions from that point forward, not something that, that I'm comfortable doing. Let's go to Tom in Tucson, Arizona, where they're still trying to figure out how to count votes. Tom, welcome to the show. Tom. All right. Let, let's go to Ivan in Miramar. Ivan, welcome to the show. Hey, hey Brian, how you doing? Listen, I got a mouthful, a mouthful so I'm going to talk fast. All Look, right. You start, off, you start off the night, you start off the night and you go, what are your minimum goals? You take the House, you maybe take the Senate. Both are still on the table. We have to quit our whining and get back to the fight. Herschel must win, if, even if he's 51 yep. or 52. We're having a post-mortem intervention while the enemy is still shooting live bullets at us. Listen, you know, we have, you know, to, to your point about the uh, election integrity, we have elections every two years, and we have the same scenario um, waiting, and that is waiting for Democrats to steal the election. Nothing is going to change, and the same thing will happen in 2024 until Republican governors demand an audit of the top two Republican districts and the top two Democrat districts, voting districts, and then we have a forensic analysis. We have to. And listen, Fox, Fox News had, had several attacks against Trump ready the night of the election, you know, about being a drag on the party and not spending his war chest to help, help our candidates, and we were foolishly accepting their narrative. Ninety percent of that, excuse me, I will not let the media or rhinos win. I will vote for whoever our candidate is, whether it's Trump or DeSantis, and so should every conservative in the country. Appreciate the call. Yeah, appreciate the call. Uh, Look, and you're right. You're right about Herschel, and that's why I was very clear in the early going in the show to say to get your asses out there and you vote as soon as you can. You do not wait around talking about the importance of the ground game where the roadmap and what I was trying to lay out tonight was a roadmap to be useful. It is important not to have a postmortem so much, but to, to get real because 
you need to get when I say you, I'm talking about we as a country, we need to get real about what the real problem is. Republicans just had the best performance on record with voters over the age of 30. If just the voters under 30 weren't radical leftists by way of their votes in numbers that are more than double what we usually see, we're not having this conversation. It would have been a, a red tsunami just like it was in Florida, clear across this country. And that's why, you know, I want to cut through the narratives of, oh, bad Trump candidates, because the first pro- my first concern is that you have the people that say, oh, bad Trump candidates, and they think, well, as long as we don't have Trump candidates, then things are going to be okay. Bull crap. <laughs> Bull crap. There's, there are no supporting facts of that. The whole point is we got a real problem on our hands. Gen Z voted radically left in numbers we never had before. First thing, better start to figure that situation out sooner rather than later. And since their parents are already more conservative than their parents were at the same age, I mean, you got a chance to try to reach some of them, but they're already adults at this point in voting, so uh, more difficult conversations at that point. But we need to be real about what happened there, because if you continue to see Gen Z vote for Democrats the way they just did on Tuesday, this ship sails, and it sails fast in subsequent elections. So that's the get real. The next piece of getting real is you've got to get on the ground, and you've got to engage, and you've got to turn out, and you cannot wait to Election Day. And that is the sense of urgency in the here and now as it pertains to Herschel Walker in that race. It is extremely important. But my point is, many of the narratives out there are false, and there are actionable items that need to be started right now. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd in. To the runoff, and, you know, I'm, in, I'm going up against the incumbent, and everyone said it's going to be difficult. I felt I can win this. I'm- that is Herschel Walker, and he can win it, and there is a reasonable chance control of the Senate is going to hinge on that race yet again in a reversal of sorts of what happened in 2020. 2020, we had two opportunities. Runoff elections in Georgia just needed one of them to have control of the Senate. Both were lost. This time, that can't happen. I've talked about turnout and early voting and the need for Republicans to get off their butts before Election Day and embrace this system the way it sits. Because far too often, you have people that intend to vote on Election Day, but they don't because life happens. As I've also mentioned, something that needs to be known Republican operatives are out there trying to identify voters who haven't voted and activate them. If you wait until Election Day, even if you're 100% on Election Day, they're using resources trying to get your butt out to the polls rather than focusing on somebody who is less reliable. Democrats play a better game. There are many reasons why Florida went from being the ultimate swing state to the ultimate outlier. The biggest reason above all others, more than DeSantis being a great governor, more than him running a great campaign, 
More than Florida having more registered Republicans than Democrats for the first time in an election cycle in this state's history was that the ground game for Republicans led to an early voting advantage in the state of Florida that was more than twice that of Democrats. Until the 2020 election cycle, Democrats had dominated Republicans in early voting. That needs to change. Get out there and vote in Georgia. Identify in your own community what needs to change and make it happen. It's possible. I live in a county that used to be D plus 28. Now it's R plus 3. Happy Veterans Day. Have a great weekend. Brian Mudd. And for the great one, Mark Levin.